We're not done yet. You're a monster. It's just us now. Han Solo can't save you. Welcome to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Deep in the bowels of the frozen ice caverns of Hoth, our hosts, Carl Eclair and Jason Hunt, discuss all things Star Wars. So join the conversation and hang out here in the Wampa's Lair. everybody and welcome back to another exciting episode of the wampas lair podcast this is episode number 263 i'm as always your host jason hunt and with me the k2so to my bb8 we have carl i i don't get it because i'm not that sassy oh well i don't know <laughs> i almost made you bb8 because you're cute and little um well <laughs> I'm not that little. <laughs> uh, at least I hope not. Um, oh, I love BB-8. He's so good in this movie. <laughs> but um, BB-8, right? Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so obviously our continued coverage, our coverage continues of the Last Jedi. That's what I meant to say. Um, <laughs> and as we said last, you know, the last couple of weeks, we wanted to give all of you uh, an opportunity to have. An input and a voice into giving us your thoughts on The Last Jedi. And again, no surprise, we got quite a few responses. Um, and quite a few of them were very, very, very extensive, well thought out. Um, it almost like people were writing a thesis statement and then they backed it up. <laughs> so it was great. <laughs> but again, just, just a quick heads up to start. Um, Obviously, we're not going to be able to read every little thing that you all wrote in, um, and it's for no other reason than the sense of time, but we really want to hit kind of the big things, and what we did is we kind of broke this up into things that people liked, what people didn't like, um, and then, of course, there's like a prediction section, because a lot of you wrote in what you thought episode nine might do, um, and then we'll close out with some questions that were asked. Um, How does that sound to you, Jason? That sounds good to me. So... um like you said, we, we've kind of gathered everything and grouped everything. So you'll probably, if you wrote in, you'll hear your stuff sort of spread out throughout all this. We may not, um, you know, credit specific quotes to specific people um, all the time because we've just kind of got everything grouped together by topic. We're trying something a little bit new here since we got so many responses um, with how to to do this. So um, hopefully this works the way we think it will. Um, <laughs> and uh things should go well but we do want to thank everyone who wrote in because it was a wealth of information and thoughts and it was it was really great so yeah yeah it really was um so yeah i mean if if we skip over anything that you wrote in it's again it's either because it was something repeated right like a lot of you wrote in similar things which is great what's also great is the fact that some people that wrote in their likes are then other people's dislikes and vice versa. Again, it just, just shows the subjectivity of the Star Wars fan community. Yeah. Um, and what I was really – and again, like if you wrote things in on social media um, and you're like, wait, why didn't anything of mine get read? Like we said, we, we just asked you to email us because we just wanted it all to be in one concise place. So if, if we didn't get an email from you, unfortunately, we're not going to be reading any 
anything from our social media. So apologies, but um, you know, we did we we let y'all know. So um, yeah. and and there's just so much that we got in email. <laughs> it's not like we had to go to like pad the the episode at all with the social media stuff. So yeah, it, it, there's plenty of content in here. And you'll probably hear a lot of what you were, were saying over on Facebook and Twitter anyways. So, yeah. And I do want to say real quick though, I, I was really um, amazed at how gracious everyone's comments were even folks that, you know, wrote in things they didn't like. It wasn't like this, you know, this like venomous language of like, this is stupid and I hate it and I hate star Wars, right? Like nobody, I'm, I'm happy to say that at least none of the Larians make these weird conclusions of like, oh, this didn't work for me. Therefore, I hate everything. <laughs> you know, <laughs> obviously, sadly, there's there's I would say it's a minority, but they're the loud minority of the fan community who, you know, things didn't work for them. And therefore, they like hate everything and they hate you for liking it, which is ridiculous. So, yeah. Um, but yeah. So again, at the end of the day, Jason, I liked this movie. It's still not my favorite Star Wars movie, um, you know, and at the end of the episode, just as a heads up, Jason, I'm going to ask you to either rank it or give it a, give it a rating. So okay. I want to put you right. on the spot a little bit. So, you, so have that in the back of your mind. I'm going to do the same. So, <laughs> All right. Um, but uh, Jason, let's just get right into it. Um, the first thing I want to do is we, we only got two um, audio messages. So I want to play one of them just to kick things off. And this comes from um, Jackson, um, who's been on the show in the past, um, has always been actively involved in the show. So I'm going to play this little audio clip from Jackson to get us started. Hey, Carl and Jason. It's Jackson. Um, I just want to send in my thoughts on The Last Jedi. Um, first of all, I really loved the fight with Kylo and Rey when they fought the Praetorian Guards on Snoke's ship. I thought that was such a cool fight and the way they were like fighting together. And I loved the part where Rey threw the lightsaber to Kylo and he just stabbed that guy right through the face that was so awesome and by the way i think you guys should do a matchup the praetorian guards versus the royal guards the ones that palpatine keeps with him um also i think daisy ridley did a phenomenal job on this movie and oh my gosh she is so beautiful and gorgeous and i have like a major crush on daisy she is just awesome also I really love the crate battle, um, especially uh, after playing Star Wars Battlefront and just seeing how they pay attention to detail in the game and then going and watching the movie. It's like almost being in Battlefront. It's so cool. And then finally, I love that they brought Yoda back for this movie, and it was cool that they used a puppet again. So the Yoda stuff with Luke was awesome. Anyways, um, I hope you guys had a wonderful Christmas. Keep up the hard work, and God bless. Good old Jackson. Thanks, Jackson. Uh, I did have a great Christmas, so thank you for for asking about that. But yes, that was that was great. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's always good to get Jackson's thoughts. Right, he always sends in audio for us, <laughs> yeah, you know? which, I, which I love. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so. I think just the way to do it, Jason, is we can just talk about what folks are bringing up. And again, um, Jackson brings up some stuff that, again, is is prelevant from a lot of the a lot of the things written in. Um, and uh, let's talk just real briefly about the the Ray Kylo Praetorian fight. Um, it's such an incredible scene in this movie. 
Yeah, it is. It really is. It's quite good. Um, and I'm trying to think if there's anything to compare it to. And the only things I'm coming up with, you know, that that really kind of compare it all, is maybe some stuff in Clone Wars, but like it's such a unique fight. Um, the closest thing you get to it in the films is Obi Wan and Anakin taking out Grievous's bodyguards in Episode Three or Duel of the Fates. But as far as like duels go, it's such a unique fight, and it's so awesome that way. Um, and you know, obviously, we, we get Kylo and Ray who are kind of, sort of thinking maybe they're allies, but then they're forced to team up together. So that makes it even more of a, a high stakes fight because it's like, well, I guess we're working together, <laughs> and they have to uh, trust each other. So. Right. Well, I think even going into that moment, Ray already inherently trusts Ben, right? She wouldn't call him Kylo in that. Right. She continually refers to him as Ben. Um, and uh, yeah, I think again, it, it's similar to when the lightsaber goes flying to her hand in Force Awakens, when, you know, Kylo pulls the lightsaber through Snoke and her hand just reaches up into frame and catches it. And then the force theme swells again. You know, it's fantastic. And I think it's meant to indicate he's turned, right? Like, I think that's immediately what I thought. I was like, oh, my gosh, she did it. Like, he, he's come back to the light. Right. Um, and then, obviously, we find out a very different story by the end of the fight. Yeah. Um, it, which makes it so tragic. But, yeah, the fight itself is just the choreography is, is fantastic. Um, and it's a very different type of fight. It's not flashy and um, dancey, if you will, like the prequels. And I'm not, that's not a knock on the prequels. Um, but it's also not just like hacking like the originals. Um, it's very right. much its own. To me, it's a perfect blend of the two styles, right? Um, you know, it really is. It's, it's a little bit quicker than what we would have gotten in the originals. But again, it doesn't have like that uh, that high end choreography, and I think that makes sense because the prequels, right? The reason they fight that way, and, and you know, I was. I always give Joe Hogan a hard time because he's like, oh, if you watch Duel of the Fates, you can tell how rehearsed it is. And I always tell him to shut up because it's great. Um, but uh, You're right. But it is very rehearsed, but I think it also – it makes sense, right? Like the Jedi learn to fight and it's like it's a spiritual practice. Like it makes sense that it's an art form for them. Same with the uh -huh. Sith at that time. But then you have Luke who's trained in a very different school. Um, he He's – to me, he's probably more likely trained to like just be efficient. You don't have to be right. fancy. And then I think no. obviously whatever he passes on again is it's it's these are young characters, so of course they fight with some level of speed and agility. But they're also I don't know they're using a style more in line with the original trilogy, but at the speed of the prequels. Right, and and, and that's the thing is that the prequels it's a, it's a dance. It's they are highly trained. They train you know for hours and hours you know to you know the different forms and the the moves and everything. So when you get into a fight, it's automatic. It's you know muscle memory, and it just flows quickly and like a dance, like you said. Um, whereas the original trilogies, it's much more. What works? What's efficient? What will get the job done? Um, and then this is where we're taking that baseline that we got in, you know, say, Return of the Jedi with Luke. And now we're building back up to something a little bit 
more structured. Right. And so that's kind of where where we are at here with uh, Ray and Ben. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, to me, it would be like comparing jujitsu to like um, taekwondo. Taekwondo exactly. is very like rhythmic and artistic and a form of meditation. Jiu-jitsu is like, how can I break this person's leg or arm as fast as possible? Right? <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. They're both in a sense like a self-defense um, practice, but very different ends. Um, so, but, uh, anyway, yeah, we, we could, we should probably continue because <laughs> we could talk about that forever. Um, but, uh, so one thing, um, I'm not going to use anybody's last names. Just whenever we have somebody on as a guest, I always ask them beforehand if they want us to use their last name and want to give folks that permission. So I'm just going to use first names and then last initials. So Travis M wrote in and a couple things he wrote that I really, so again, we're doing the likes section. <laughs> um, but he said something he really enjoyed was how the you know the new republic has failed to find their purpose, and that's why they could never deliver peace to the galaxy. And he says that he feels like that's also mirrored in Luke. Luke lost his purpose um, and his balance, you know, with the fall of Ben, and um, you know he has to come around to find his purpose by the end of the film. I really like this. I like that idea that that Travis has about how right like at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, why did the Republic fail? Um, right. And again, we're not really explained that, which I, I do still think is a fault of these films. Like we don't get any history and force awakens and we continue to not get any in, in last Jedi. And I do indict, I indict both JJ and Ryan on that. Like, I think that's fair to say. I know a lot of people would disagree and be like, Oh, we don't need it. Um, however, I do not like when people say it's in the books. Do not tell me it's an ancillary, you know, it's in outside sources. If it's not in the film, that's bad story writing. At the end of the day, you cannot expect your audience to, to read those books. Um, but be that as it may, um, it's very clear, though, that the problem here, the state of the galaxy is in turmoil because our main centers, the New Republic, and then our main heroic figure, Luke Skywalker, have lost their purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and because the New Republic lost its purpose, it was an easy target to to take on uh to take on and take out in force awakens and now luke has to find a way to regain purpose and regain um a, a place in the galaxy um and and travis you know kind of finishes his statement by saying he he believes that this is why ultimately luke sacrificed his life to be one with the force Luke Skywalker is stronger as a legend than he is as a myth, um, which is an interesting way to put that, um, because we're all you know, you know he he talks about Luke Skywalker the legend um, quite a bit, and and how even he got taken up with it, um, and so it's a maybe he is stronger as a legend than a myth, you know, than a real person, but I I don't know, it's an interesting thought. I'm, I'd have to give that more thought before I could jump on board with it, but um, it's thought-provoking at least. Yeah, no, I, that's – so like Travis's direct quote is he says, you know, Luke Skywalker is stronger as a legend than he is as a myth. I think that's a really profound statement. Um, I would just be curious what – how would you define legend compared to myth? I don't I, – because I don't know how I would either to be, to be fair. I don't know what the difference is between a legend and a myth. Um, uh, I guess in a way a myth is – 
not necessarily true, whereas a legend is, right? Like a legend is more historically accurate, whereas a myth is more larger than life. Yeah, I think sense. I think that would be the biggest difference. Um, a legend is is sort of exaggerated history. Um, you know, Robin Hood, uh, King Arthur, things like that, um, which could also be considered, you know, mythology of of Great Britain. But there are characters, historical characters, that are sort of associated with those those people as well, especially Robin Hood. Um, I guess more than King Arthur, but um, so I, I guess in that way, you know, sort of an exaggerated version of Luke Skywalker is better than, you know, oh, you know, the Jedi of old, sort of, so to speak. Right. Yeah. But that's you know that's absolutely true though about Luke finding his purpose by the end of the movie, right? I mean, it's it's very apparent because Ray says, you know, when he passed, it was with peace and purpose. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, it, it's it's great that he finds that, um, and and comes back to the fight. Um, so while we're talking, I, I've Jason, I've noticed that in both of our previous episodes, and I'm not faulting this, but we've obviously just paid attention to what we really like and what really works. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of want to be a little bit more open about some of the things that I really don't think work, though, in this episode. So, again, not to try to be negative or rip the movie down. I, I love this movie. Um, but, for instance, the idea, though, that Luke finds his purpose, um, to me, almost too late in the sense of uh, one of my biggest – so, well, actually, you know what? I'm going to save this stuff for the end because I want to give our Lyrians their voice and then I'll then I'll save my thoughts for the end. Okay. Um, but, yeah, great thoughts from Travis. Um, and then, uh, you know, get a good friend of ours, Philip, Philip L, Philip Liebold. I don't care. I'm using his last name because Philip's been on the show, um, and gave us permission. So, but, uh, Philip focused a lot on why he really liked the, the Canto bite piece. Um, which is great because again, this has been, I think the Canto bite segment is something that is, you know, a lot of people are divided on, um, you know, uh, I, for one, like I understand it's importance and purpose and I think it's great, but I still don't love watching it. Um, and, uh, and that's not to say cause it's sucks and it's useless, but it's not my favorite part of the movie. Um, but I really like what Philip focuses on and as he says that, um, essentially the protagonists shine out as good when they are not fixated on the source of their success or their own goals only, but they, um, and they're not so focused on their goals that they are blind to its effects of life around them. Essentially what Philip is, I love that he roots it in something that George Lucas does. And he's like, it goes all the way back to a new hope when they decide not to shoot at the escape pod with the droids because, Oh, there's no life forms in it. Why bother? Right. And he focuses like Philip's talking about how for our villain characters, there are a lot of insignificant things in life that they don't need to waste their time with. Um, but our protagonists always give them attention and help them to be more than just distractions. I mean, obviously think of Qui-Gon with Jar Jar and, you know, paying attention to the Ewoks, you know? Um, so I really like that. So Philip, you know, his point is, is that on Canto Bite, you know, Finn and Rose pay attention to these little children who are, uh, probably slaves. We we, we don't know for certain, but quite possibly slaves right. and right. They pay attention to those that the galaxy at large would ignore. Right. Yeah. And, and 
Um, you know, especially even, you know, Rose with the, the Fathiers, she takes time to, you know, free them. And, you know, after they, uh, they escape the, the police after, you know, the, the Fathier chase and everything, she even takes time to undo the saddle from the one that, you know, got them out of there uh, in order to, to set him free and, you know, takes that time. And now it's all worth it. So, um, they take that moment to, to really look at what's really going on, what really matters and, you know, how she's able to open Finn's eyes to the underbelly of places like Canto Bight. Um, because it gleams and glitters and it blinds you, but there's some nasty stuff going on underneath. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, then we had uh, uh, James um, write in, James Capron, again, using his last name because he's been on the show. <laughs> um, but <laughs> James says that he, you know, he absolutely loved Ray's arc. Um, and, you know... He found her journey, her spiritual journey, to be um, emotional, dramatic, and thought-provoking. Um, and, of course, he highlights the, the Ray and Kylo fight with the Praetorian Guards. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he also really hits on Ray's vision in the cave. Um, and I like what he writes. Like uh, Again, that's why I love Larians. They have such deep perspectives, and I love it. Um, but he says that Ray learns in the cave that her greatest fear is that in search of her identity and parents, she will be worthless and have no one to rely on. Um, and that scene is so important to Ray's character and it's powerful and mystical um, to him. So yeah, the, 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 I think Ray is, she's just phenomenal in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, no, she's great. Um, and I really appreciate uh, James's, um, perspective on the vision in the cave because that's something i still hadn't really figured out for myself um uh so i really like james's take on that because it, it helps to helps me to make more sense of what's going on um so i appreciate that so that's <laughs> thanks james <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean i think it's it, just like luke's vision and in the cave on dagobah is in some ways subjective um, right, right. Like Ray's vision, like James is pointing out is, um, you know, essentially coming to terms with the fact that she really is a nobody who her parents are, yeah. don't matter, you know? And, um, and that's even, that's pretty much even what she says, right? Cause that towards the end of that cave sequence, it's intercut with her talking with, you know, Kylo in her tent. And she says, you know, I've never, I came here seeking for answers, but I've never felt more alone. Um, yeah, you know, so she's, she's giving us that, that interpretation for herself that, you know, that is indeed her biggest fear is that she is completely on her own. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, it's such a great part of the movie. Um, also real quick, I love when she snaps her fingers and like kind of nods her head just a tiny bit. (laughs) So yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, (laughs) I love that. Click, 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 click. Um, and then the other thing, real quick, uh, James mentions is a lot of the um, Revenge of the Sith callbacks. James is it; his favorite movie is Revenge of the Sith, so he loves the stuff we get there. Um, you know, and he gives, for example, Kylo spinning in his Tie Fighter, 
um, Kylo asking Ray to join him. Um, the shot of Kylo and his troops entering Crate's base. Um, yeah, so you know there are definitely all sorts of callbacks. There is when Ray and Luke are walking into um, essentially the top of that mountain where she's going to go out onto the ledge to meditate. The music mm-hmm. that's under that is very similar to the Camino music. Yeah, um, yeah and it is. I think I hold on. I think I have it to play. Give me one second. Where, where is the name of the song? Here it is. Okay, let me see if I can find that particular moment. All right. Sorry, I should have done this beforehand. Is this it? No, that's not it. Maybe it's more towards the beginning then. Nope. All right, well, whatever. I can't find it, but it's there. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I should have it, done it my homework. Does. But the there end. is um, a... It's a, it's only like a couple of, of lines of music, uh, but it definitely has a very Camino feel to it. And that's something I picked up on um, and I think my first viewing, my first or second viewing of the movie, I, I picked up on that. So I really appreciated that. So Right. I wanna uh, But yeah, no the, the the minor callbacks and the big one for me is still uh, Kylo storming into the crate base you know that overhead shot with the uh, first order troops behind him is is nigh identical to anakin marching into the jedi temple with the clone troopers right uh, yeah so it it's so it's such a callback there's no doubt that that is designed to evoke the same feeling um so i appreciate that that's the biggest one for me yeah there is I know there's a moment um it's on the I'm pretty sure it's on this track called The Last Jedi track on the soundtrack. There's a moment after Luke disappears and Kylo turns and yells no. The musical cues are exactly like the cues um after Anakin has finished slot, his slaughter on Mustafar and he's standing out on that bridge. Okay. Yeah. Um I think I can get this. Let me uh where is it? I know I know it's in this track. Yeah. Nope. Nope. That's... Ah, sorry. I really need to do my homework before I bring these things up. So this is him realizing Luke is not really there. See you around, kid. We go to the... uh... Here we go. Right? So, like, right here, this... Right? That's so Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Um, it is totally Revenge of the Sith. So, yeah, no, that's that's a great... It's a great moment. I Thanks for remembering that one. Yeah, so. yeah. I'm, I think, is it... Um... Yeah, hold on. I'm going to... I want to play the equivalent. Ah. Nope, it's not there. Where is it? 
Uh, sorry. I'm wasting everybody's time, but I really want to... I just wanted to play the... Uh, where the heck is my Revenge of the Sith soundtrack? <laughs> Oy vey. Why Oy am I not finding this? But anyway, yeah. I mean, you'll you'll get the cue, I think. So anyway, I'm done looking. I apologize for wasting everyone's time. But yeah, they're, and even when Kylo and Rey are standing, you know, after the, the, the red tapestry of Snoke's throne room is burned down and they're standing there with the, you know, the space battle, like kind of, it's not a space battle, but like the, the stuff going on outside. I don't know. It just, it really evokes Anakin and Obi-Wan fighting Dooku on, you know, the invisible hand. Um, yeah, it does. It's great. And I, and I love that there are so many prequel nods because it's important to remind us. That's the one thing I critique. I mean, JJ was always very vocal about his dislike of the prequels and Ryan has been very affirming of the prequels. So I love Canto Bite is full of prequel callbacks, in my opinion, too. Oh, um, yeah. It's, it's, it's totally like if all the senators went on holiday, where would they go? Canto Bite. Right. But, yeah, so... Let's, let's continue on. Let's we have continue some on. Here. So, yeah. Um, so the next few thoughts come uh, from uh, Patrick R., and the first thing he kind of mentioned that he really liked was um, the fact that, you know, we had the original trilogy Yoda. You know, we had um, Empire Strikes Back Yoda in the sense of him, him being a puppet, which is very clear, um, mm-hmm. as well as, you know, he's goofier, he's funny, but he has that same wisdom that the Empire Strikes Back Yoda had. It's the wisdom gained from failure, which is ex- his exact message to Luke. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, Yoda, there's so much to unpack with the Yoda-Luke scene that I, I don't want to really get started because we will be talking about it for a long time. But it's it's such a good um, a good moment and a, a good scene. And, and having him back, uh, there's so many important reasons why Yoda is there and not, say, Obi-Wan. So, um, yeah, no, it, it's great. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, and he and, you know, uh, Patrick does mention that he wishes it were um, he, you know, he's like, I, I wanted Obi- Obi-Wan or Anakin or even Qui-Gon. But, you know, he's he like he says, you know, Yoda fits best. And I, I think that's true. Um, uh, yeah, it, it definitely does, because Yoda's the one who Yoda was his final teacher. Right. Um, so Obi-Wan just started the journey. Yoda really meat you know really puts the meat on the bones so i think it makes sense that it's yoda that shows up and also yoda's the one who can speak most directly to his to an order falling because of his own hubris right that's yoda of revenge of the sith he's speaking from experience right like i get it luke i was there you know i watched the jedi order fall because we were so proud we didn't see the dark yeah yeah, no, and it's it's, and whereas Luke kind of gets stuck on that, Yoda's the one who says, "No, we have to move through that, move beyond it, and continue to grow." So that's that's why Yoda has to be the one there because he's like, "I've done this before," you know, right? <laughs> so, right. yeah. Um, uh, Patrick also mentions that he thought the character development is great for all of the characters. And I agree. I think this movie, every even though there's a lot of characters, which is typical of a Star Wars film, 
I think every character is great. Like there is no bad character. I mean, not bad in the sense of like an evil. There is like obviously Snoke's a bad guy, but every character right. is so compelling when they're on screen. Um, and I think that's a feat of, of Ryan Johnson. Um, he really has, he's a re- a, clearly a very good actor's director. Yeah. Yes. I will. I will definitely agree with that. And this movie is definitely heavy on the character development, the character stories rather than plot, um, which is typical of the middle act films. So, sure. um, so that's, you know, we can, we kind of can expect that sort of thing, but it's also pulled off. Uh, very well probably um i won't say better than any other um middle act movie in star wars because i know people would uh riot if i said it was better than empire in that regard but um (laughs) in the fact that there are more characters than we had in empire really you know track through uh it handled it very well so in empire we had just a handful in last jedi we have about two handfuls so sure yeah yeah um but uh patrick also mentions and i i, I want to put his original thing even though i'm not sure if he did this on purpose or not he, he says Plagueis's death um and i'm assuming he means snoke but yeah. i don't know if maybe he's in the camp that think you know snoke was you know reincarnated Plagueis or something i think it's pretty clear the fact that they gave us no backstory on the screen which again a lot of people don't like um, I don't really like it either. Um, I, I think it's um, – I'll get to this point a little bit later in the show, but be that as it may, I don't know if Patrick is just in the camp of thinking Snoke is Plagueis. I don't think he is, and, and I don't want him to be because um, that undoes, that undoes the, 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 the brilliance of Sidious and Palpatine, right? So, But he does mention that he really liked Plagueis' death or you know, we'll say what it really is, Snoke, you know? And he thought he would survive this somehow be weaker, but they kill him in the best way possible. He's dead. And next year we will probably get a novel on the rise to power, (laughs) which is fair. I'm sure we will see a lot of Snoke's story explored through other media. Um, I do think though, episode nine has to, has to give us something though, right? Like to be fair, the original movies, like by return of the Jedi, I feel like everything's well flushed out, but you know, like when Yoda says there is another, that doesn't get touched on again the rest of Empire, right? But it, it is resolved. Um, we don't know anything about the Emperor at all in the original trilogy. We don't. Other than that he's a Sith and he's in charge. Right. And actually, they don't even use the word Sith in the original trilogy. So, again, that in and of itself comes from ancil- ancillary material. So, right. Um, but uh, be that as it may, right? Uh, I agree with Patrick, though, that Snoke's death is amazing. Um, yeah. It was so unexpected, and it makes me happy because we can finally start putting this Plagueis theory to rest because it's probably the theory that I've had the most visceral reaction to. Um, and if you've listened to any of our Comic-Con panels that I've, I've been at, uh, Kyle likes to poke fun at me over this theory and get me riled up. Um, and so it's become a bit over the years, so we'll have to come up with another bit because it's uh, – it's not there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but but that so was, it was a great scene and, and surprising. Right. And the animation they did is amazing. You know, Snoke looks shocked because, again, he thinks, he, oh, you know, I cannot be betrayed. I cannot be defeated. You know. Right. Uh, false. <laughs> right. 
Oh man, I love it, and, and I love I find it. it interesting that he doesn't say I cannot be defeated. He says I cannot be betrayed. And I'm like, seriously, that just kind of about uh, you know seals your fate as being betrayed when you say things like that, right? Right. So you know, I mean, to be fair, you don't really. I mean, that's kind of the only place it could actually go in the story when we're when we're there. But I think we still just didn't expect it. We at least didn't expect. You know, maybe if anything, like he would lash out at Snoke and escape with her. But I mean, he just straight right. up cuts him in half. <laughs> yeah, that happened, and I remember just going, "What? Yeah, what? I I didn't know what to think about it. I was like, uh, okay." Yeah, but you know, I think, I'm okay with it. Now. Yeah, no, I mean, and I think the shock of it is definitely waned because I mean, it immediately goes from him getting cut in half to them fighting in an amazingly awesome looking fight. So you're not even thinking about that anymore. You're just like, oh my god, this is a great fight, right? Like, right. Um, I, I, it, it's almost smart storytelling on on Ryan's part of like people are probably going to be like very astounded and like, what the heck about this? But I'll immediately <laughs> distract them with this awesome fight. <laughs> Right. Um, I think Patrick brought up was yeah. the, the fight. Right. Exactly. And, you know, I like, you know, that shot run after Ray's escaped and everything. And the, they go back to the shuttle and there's that close up shot of Snoke's dead face, you know, and then <laughs> we go to Hux about to, sh- you know, about to pull his gun on Kylo. But I, right. I really feel like they gave us that that brief shot of showing us that, yep, he's dead. Right. This is not going to be Darth Maul. <laughs> you know, he, he's not coming back with metal legs. The dude's dead. Right. Uh, there is no coming back from this one. He is cut in half. He is deader than dead. And yeah, he, he's, his hands are still sitting on the, the throne. Which is great. <laughs> so, yeah. It's weird. It's kind of creepy, but it's, they're there. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Th- that's, that's why The Last Jedi got PG-13 rating. That and stabbing through the face. Um, right. Sure. Lights it. Sure. <laughs> Um, but of course, Patrick does mention again, like a lot of folks, how much he liked the Praetorian duel. And to him, he said, it's, it's the best fight since duel of the fates. I'm with him on that. (laughs) Um, but, uh, he also, he, one thing though, I want to point out that he mentions is he says, "I, I need to defend DJ. He is an everyday person in the galaxy. He does things to survive. He is the scum of star Wars. That's exactly right. Like star Wars has always given us those kind of gray characters, um, the bounty hunters, all of them, right? Like Han Solo, like he's just a scoundrel um, doing what he needs to do to survive. And that's DJ, right? You know, his, a lot of people have been split on whether or not they like him. I love him. I love the way Benicio del Toro plays that character. Um, he's a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, Patrick thinks that he, and, and, and I think Patrick's right on to something there, right? Like he is a type of Star Wars character that we didn't have necessarily in force awakens i guess kind of unkar plot is a little bit like that but right star wars has always given us kind of these kind of like i like how he calls it the scum of star wars like dj yes. is definitely the scum of star star wars who just again looking out for numero one numero uno himself mm-hmm. right no it, dj is a, a fascinating character and, and obviously he's not the master code breaker he is a code breaker yeah, but he's yeah. not the master right. code breaker um but you know the fact that he gets you know worked up in this, I, I I think he you know he might return. I don't know, but I would not be opposed to his return uh, because I think he's a he's an intriguing character, um, and I like him. He he amuses me. 
um, especially his interactions with, with BB-8. So yeah. yeah. Did, did you do this? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, let's see. So Josh R also wrote in, and he he uh, makes a lot of great points. But something we haven't talked about yet is he says, and I, I think he puts this very well. He says the most challenge. This is to him the most challenging Star Wars film because it is just like real life. As we age, we grow different than we were when we were younger, and we see this especially in Luke Skywalker. I think that's a great point Josh makes, right? Um, yeah. That, you know, the expectation from so many fans, myself included, was that Luke Skywalker would be an even holier and mightier Luke Skywalker than we left in Return of the Jedi. Like, he, and that's, to be fair, like, that's kind of what he did become in the Legends canon, right? Like, Luke is one step below a god, <laughs> you know? I mean, he... He can almost do no wrong. And, and I'm sure there are people out there who are he rises who, to demigod status. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know he does make mistakes in legends and stuff, but you know, um, he, he, right. We we're so, we were so used to the Luke of legends that we forgot that he might actually not be perfect the whole time. Um, so I like that, right? Like it, it, it heroes are more heroic when they go through something. Yeah. Um, and even even Mark Hamill, again, he, there are a lot of people out there that only want to take the snippets of what Mark Hamill disagreed with initially and ignore all the things that he came around to. But Mark Hamill put it very well. It's it, it, one of the one of the interviews where he essentially says, if Luke is just the same character we left in Return of the Jedi, we don't need a new hero. Right. And we also don't need to tell the story because we're just recycling what we've already done. And I think that's exactly right. Like Luke has to be in a different place. And I think it's important that he is in a place where he's not the hero anymore. This isn't his story. Right. Um, And I think that just, that makes us all very sad, but the story of star Wars can't be Luke Skywalker forever. It just can't be. No, it can't. And that's a great point that, that Mark Hamill made because if Luke is still the hero that he was, there's no point in raising up a new hero in Ray to, fill that void because we, we would still have Luke Skywalker, yeah. you know? Um, and so rather than just like have Luke Skywalker, you know, disappear off screen, uh, we're like, well, let's have him fall sort of in his own way um, and have to redeem himself have, in, in a sense, have, you know, find his purpose again, find his, his drive and, and what he's supposed to do his, his, his place in this, this galaxy again. Um, and, through that, it sort of leads Ray on her own journey to becoming the new hero, the new uh, carry, carrier of the baton um, in this race, this you know this, this journey through our galaxy far, far away. Um, because if we if we have the old hero, there's no reason to get a new one. Right. It's that's such a. I think it's such an important point. Um, so, yeah, and, and the fact that, you know, Josh t- ties into that with, with what he was saying about um, how it's like real life because we grow different and we change uh, from when we were younger to when we were older. It's, it's, it's such a, a great observation about this movie and something that I think is a big sticking point for a lot of people because we don't want that change. We want Luke to be the, the big hero. We want Luke to be, um, this great, awesome Jedi. 
um, that we all thought he was going to be, including me. And and I will admit I was I, I'm not I'll be the first to admit I wasn't sold on the idea of Luke being, you know, a hermit and you know not wanting to engage in the galaxy. I thought that was kind of a, a an obnoxious move when we started getting that you know that sort of details you know before the movie came out, but it makes sense. And after seeing the movie, I I've come to accept and 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 realize and you know go along with it because it tells a better story that way, um, rather than just Luke going, "All right, well, it's my time to move on. May the force be with you." Um, <laughs> you know that right. that doesn't really help us much. It's not as satisfying. Yeah. Right. Um, even even Snoke is surprised by Ray's presence because you know you know um, he, when he says to to Ray when she's handed over you know you know I told my apprentice as he grew stronger in the dark side his his equal would rise you know Skywalker I assumed wrongly you know like he mm-hmm. expected Luke to step back into the limelight but he doesn't so. Um, yeah, th- this is why – honestly, this is why I've really come to love that Ray's a nobody. Um, I think there's there might be a little bit more to it that will we'll get flushed out in 9. Um, but it actually really make, made me like even more that she's a nobody because in a way, the Force probably would have sent Luke back, but he shut himself off to it. So what yeah. does the Force do? It picks another nobody, right? Um, Anakin was a nobody. Luke was a nobody. I mean – Technically, he wasn't because he was Anakin's son. But if you watch those trilogies in actual release order, right? Luke is just a nobody from a desert planet who becomes a great hero. Anakin is a nobody from a desert planet who's a slave who becomes a hero. Now, Rey is a nobody from a desert planet who becomes a hero. Um, and so I guess if you want to be a hero in Star Wars, you got to be growing up on a desert planet and have and be a nobody. So. Exactly. Yes. Right. Bail Organa. Sorry, bud. <laughs> no Alderanians. <laughs> ruler on the beautiful planet of Alderaan. Nope, not happening. Yep. Yep. No. <laughs> but um but yeah, so great point that Josh brings up. Um so moving on, uh we got quite a quite a few comments from from an email from Damien, but the the couple things we haven't explicitly touched on yet is he says that he really enjoyed Canto Bite because he loved the nineteen twenties and thirties vibe. Um and uh, he thought that worked really well. Um, so, yeah. yeah, they they definitely do a great job of – yeah, it, it really does feel like – There is, there is a, a complete atmosphere and a complete uh, sense of location with Canto Bite. There, there is there's, it, it feels so tied in to both something that seems familiar to us and yet is also completely Star Wars. Um, at the same time, and it's it's a great location. It's a great setting, um, and I wouldn't be surprised if there are more stories and adventures told in the future there. Um, you know, throughout the the expanded uh, material. So, sure, yeah. I mean, we already have a novel. Right. Um, well, uh, it's a it's collection, collection of, of short stories. stories I should yeah. say. Right. Right. I haven't read it. I, honestly, I probably won't. <laughs> so. Um. Again, not not my favorite type of stuff to read, but it is. It, I love that they did it. Um, yes. So, but uh, he I, also mentions yeah. um, Holdo's hyperdrive maneuver was awesome. Yeah. Uh, does Damien, which 
Yes. Agreed. Yes, that was great. <laughs> I I knew that was going to happen. The moment she stayed behind um, and started watching everyone go off, um, and as soon as Snoke – especially as soon as Snoke starts – you know, ordering the destruction of the the shuttles, I was like, "This is this is not going to end well for anybody involved because she's going to ram that that ship." I didn't think at first she was going to go to light speed. I thought she was just going to you know fire up the engines and just kamikaze it. But uh, hyperspace works too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and. There's obviously been some criticism about that. They're like, oh, well, gee, now they're just going to – now everybody can just do that, fly through hyperspace through a bigger ship and disable it. But I, I don't think that's going to really be the case, right? Like, no, definitely not. The The resistance is not going to be kamikaze and that's not who they are. She does it because it's the only possible option and I, I think it's the perfect fitting end for all. I mean, Holdo – we know is going to die, right? Like when she stays behind, which by the way, that to be fair, that is to me a huge plot hole. Just have a damn droid stay behind. You don't need a human. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I do get why a lot of people are like, this is really stupid. Why not? You, why do you not just leave a droid behind? It, it, to me, it's like that's bad writing. They, if, if anything, they should have at least just given a brief explanation why it needed to be a human. Um, but they don't. So well, well, I will say the only real droids that we see are BB-8, C-3PO, um, and then like some medical droids, which are needed on the, the transport shuttles. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, they may not know how to, so that's a good point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, but I'm with Damien on this. I think the, the hyperspace maneuver is awesome for two. The two things I love most about it is one that it is the perfect finishing touch to Haldo's arc in a way. Um, again, this is always been a sign of, the rebellion and now the resistance, but the willingness to give up one's life for the good of others. Like that's not nothing we've ever seen villains do, right? They don't do that. Um, so she is again being, she is being a hero, even though she's not concerned with being a hero, right? Like Leia's little conversation with Poe after they leave, you know, Oh, she was more concerned with preserving the light than being a hero. Yet she does both at the end, right? She preserves the light and as a hero, you know? And I love that. Like, I love that. Um, cause I think in some ways, right? Like Poe's understanding of heroism is, is kind of being challenged in the film yet at the same time, his inclination is not wrong, right? Like Haldo essentially goes out doing something like Poe would have done. Um, yes, but, uh, yeah, I, I love, I love that. And then obviously just the visual and the fact that it goes silent. It's always oh. my favorite part of seeing it in theaters cause people are always gasping and you hear, I mean, obviously you hear everyone's reaction cause it goes silent. There's, there's, it's like almost negative sound. It, it, there's like, it's not like it just goes quiet. It's like there's no sound. It's like, well, what it is for that, that split second before the sonic charge goes off and attack of the clones. Yes. Except it's extended. It's like five, ten seconds, and it's just like and you're just staring at going, whoa, whoa, you know, as it rips through the star destroyers. So, ugh, it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, so to kind of round out the, the last of what folks really hit on that they liked about the movie. Um, so our friend Katie, um, who's also been on the show, Katie Horn, um, she says, watching the last Jedi, I felt exactly as I did back in 1999, odd, excited, and completely thrilled by each new twist and turn. Um, and she talks a lot about how this movie, um, just made her feel like a kid again, 
right? Um, and I think that's the mark of a great Star Wars movie. Force Awakens did that without a doubt for me. This movie didn't <laughs> um, for lots of reasons. I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily, but it's why it's going to rank lower on my list of Star Wars films. Um, I love that Katie had that reaction that, you know, it just made her reconnect with that inner delight of the inner child that we all have. Um, I don't think this movie did that for me, unfortunately. Um, but I love that it did for her. And, um, you know, and again, this is, this calls into, obviously at the end of the day, it's all subjective, whether you liked this movie or didn't, it's just that subjective reality of what did it make you feel? And I love exactly. Katie's response is the perfect reason why someone would love a Star Wars movie. It connected you with that youthfulness within you and made yeah. you feel odd and excited. A Star Wars movie that does that for you is a great Star Wars movie. Sadly, this movie didn't exactly do that for me. So therefore, it's not one of my favorite Star Wars movies. Um, but yeah, I mean, for those, I, and, it, and that was why like when I first came out the first night, the reason I didn't love it right off the bat was because I was like, I don't know that it just, it felt like homework to some degree watching that there's so <laughs> much in it, right? It's so, it's so clunky and long and there's a lot of great stuff, but it didn't feel light and fun. Like your typical star Wars journey. Again, my subjective opinion. Um, I love that. And I know Katie's not alone in this. Like I know Brian Young over on full of Sith has made similar comments about how, you know, exciting and fun this movie was to watch. Um, so again, it, I, I say all that just to say again, at the end of the day, this is all just our s subjective realities. And I think that's the thing you have to be most honest about when you're assessing a Star Wars movie is how did it make you feel, right? Like, and I know like some people are like, oh, well, you have to give me reasons as to why you didn't like this. Sometimes to me, a good enough reason is like, it just didn't make me feel excited or I, I didn't feel like it was fun. That's a good enough response, Right. I mean, yeah. it's like when you fall in love with somebody, it's not usually because, oh, well, you know, she's got really pretty hair and, you know, she tells really good jokes. No, it's usually just because there's something subconscious that just clicks for you. And it's the yeah. same. The same is true of any response to an art form. If that subjective click is there, it's going to work for you. And then you will event and, and then eventually you'll be able to articulate why. Um and I think the same is true for the contrary. Like if it didn't click for you, eventually you'll probably be like, well, here's kind of what didn't work. But at the end of the day, if it didn't click, it didn't click. Or if it did, it did, you know? Um, it's like hearing a, a new song for the first time. Right. And if you may have no idea what the lyrics are um, or what's coming next with the music. But if the music and the beat, you know, catches you and you start really, really digging it and feeling it, you're going to like the song. Um but if it's something that just it, you don't get, it doesn't click, it, you don't understand what the point of it is, um, and, or you can't understand anything or whatever the case may be, then it, it doesn't work for you. So, But it's like a new song um, in this case. And, and you're right. That is that is a perfectly legitimate reason to like or dislike this movie is either it fit, it, it worked, it clicked with you, you it, it feel like you were you know, 10, 11 years old. Or maybe you didn't. Maybe you just sat there and went, I can't, I don't feel it. I just don't feel it. And that's legitimate too. Right. So. Right. You know, and, and obviously a lot of folks have talked about how second viewing, they came to like it more and then subsequent viewings, they've liked it more. Um, and I think that that's, that's also a reality too, because it is so different, you know, and I, I think the same is true with folks when they saw Phantom Menace for the first time, they were like, wow, that, what was that? I got to go see it again. Right. 
So I think, um, you know, like my favorite band called Mute Math, every album they've put out has sounded distinctly different from its predecessor. And at first I really, I mean, obviously I didn't really like that at first because I loved their first album so much that when the second album came out and it was totally different, I'm like, what the hell is this? Like I wanted more of the same, but <laughs> you know, I think the mark of a true artist is they don't, they don't stay the same, which again goes back to the point. Um, I think it was who made that point. Um, Josh, Josh made the point of like, you know, we grow and things change. <laughs> so, um, I think this movie is a perfect example of that. And you know, I think that's why sometimes subsequent viewings are important because you have to learn to let go of your expectations and accept it for what it is and the story it's telling. And I think um, and what I've come to realize is, you know, with subsequent viewings, I've definitely really come to like it, but I have not had that feeling still, except for in some moments. I have not had that overall feeling of like, oh, my God, this is so amazing and it's clicking for me. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes it's just not there. And that's okay. Right. Um, I do want to just real quick mention one other thing that, that Katie wanted to bring up um, that she liked, and that's the connection between Ray and Ben and their, you know, their force connection. And, and yes, we, I, she doesn't say this, but I, I do want to say, you know, while their initial connections um, are all sort of facilitated by Snoke, it's still there after he dies because we get that final look between the two of them at the end of the movie as she's boarding the Falcon. Um, there's, there's still a connection. There's still a, you know, a bond there with them somehow. Um, they probably won't be able to, you know, touch each other from the opposite ends of the galaxy, um, until they both grow in, in, you know, their force abilities, um, again, but you know, they're still linked in a way. Um, and that's a fantastic aspect of this movie i think is that that connection between ray and and kylo um because it's it's so different and unique and it drives their stories uh forward so much so sure um, yeah it's a great it's a great point to bring up yeah katie's always got great perspectives um and if you want like her full thoughts on all of this go check out her podcast with Brian uh, Moon Jockey's podcast because she talks a lot and a lot and a lot about this. Um, so. <laughs> yeah, um, but you know, I'm thinking too. I I feel like though the last connection when Ray and Ben actually touch, I don't think that was Snoke though. I I think. Oh, and here's so I was actually thinking maybe he just he initially does it and then it's them from then on, but. The reason I don't think that's the case is so right like at night when right before she has her cave experience, she's walking in the evening and she's like, I'd rather not do this right now. Yeah, me too. Right. Like it's clear that they're not doing that. Right. Um, But then when she goes down and has her cave experience, I think she seeks him out and that's and it works. Like I think they no longer needed Snoke. I think that last part is the two of them coming together. Ooh, Um, that that is a fantastic reading of that. I really like that. I'm going to subscribe to that until I find (laughs) out otherwise. Yeah. I just think it makes sense too, because you know, in that moment too, they, they connect in a way that I don't think Snoke would have wanted them to. Right. right? Because they both have, they both have those visions of neither of them standing with Snoke. So I don't think Snoke would have initiated that. I think 
She is feeling so alone that she reaches out to the one person she's at least been connecting with. She came here expecting to connect to Luke. She doesn't. She's at least having some sort of encounter with Ben. And now she seeks that out at the, the, the pit of her loneliness. Um, yeah. So that's why I think at the end of the movie, that's going to, I wouldn't be surprised if we continue to have something like that in nine, just because I think they've grown beyond the need of Snoke doing it for them. So no, that that's a great idea. It's a great point. And I, I, you know, like I said, un, until someone else tells me otherwise, I'm going to subscribe to that. So I thank you, Carl. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. I hope I'm right. <laughs> Doesn't, I mean, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. So anyway, the, again, there were, there were some more things in everybody's comments, but we just kind of want to hit the big things there. Um, so now we're just going to, you know, f- turn the focus a little bit to some of the things folks didn't care for. Um, and again, like I said, at the top of the show, I I'm really impressed with the lack of venom in any of this, right? People are just saying this didn't work for me and here's why. Um, and, and I think that's, again, those are all valid points. Um, so again, yeah. the, the first one that we got, um, first couple we got again, come from, from our buddy, James, uh, James Capron. And, and he says, I wasn't overly invested in the story outside of Ray. Um, yeah, me neither. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, outside of the Ray Kylo arc anyway. Um, but he, you know, he, he feels like everything with the resistance and Poe and Haldo and then Finn and Rose, you know, it just, it just didn't quite click for him. Um, and, and I, I totally get that. Um, you know, Jason, what I would have really have liked to have seen to get rid of the ridiculous number of, of plots going on and also shorten this movie. At the end of the day, my biggest critique is the movie's just too long. Um, it's and, a very long movie. Yeah. And then it feels like two and a half hours. Like, and I, and I say that as an indictment because it is. I think good stories should be able to be told within two hours, maybe two hours and ten minutes. To me, that's a long enough movie. Um, and if you can't do that, that means your story's too big. Get back to the editing floor. But that's just my opinion. Like, that's why that's why I really don't like a lot of these DC movies that are like, you know, two hours and 40 minutes. Like, nope, that's too long. Biggest critique of Dark Knight Rises. It's way too long. Um, yeah. But anyway, you know, I, it's way too long and they didn't have enough Batman. Um, yeah. Yeah. That is my. Sure. Ugh. Sure. Um, it, sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. But like, I, you know, I think James is on to a good point there that, you know, the, the heart of the film, as it should be, is Ray, Kylo and Luke. Um, yes. right. And the trailers gave us that at the end, right. This is very much their story. Um, I would, what I would have liked to have seen again, now this is not James, this is me speaking, but what I would have liked to have seen is, you know, the, the Kylo Ben, or the Kylo and Ray stuff is a plot, you know, Octu is a plot, but then I think, um, Poe should have gone with Finn and Rose. Like I'm still fine with them going to Canto Bight. Oh, um, but I think Poe should have just been with them the whole time. And like, yes, I know he's in communication with them. Um, and just give us very brief glimpses of Haldo just doing stuff on the, I don't, I don't know exactly what she needs to be doing. I know her character is essentially fleshed out because of the conflict with Poe. Um, mm-hmm. but it's just one too many in my opinion. Um, Haldo's, okay. a, Haldo's a great character, but I think, um, you know, she should have been on the ship. Maybe the brief scenes with her just, you know, talking with Leia, going over the plan, what she's thinking. And then you have, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, just that's what I would have liked. I would have just liked three plots going on, right? We have, um, well, we essentially have Ray and Kylo and then Luke and then also Foe, <laughs> Finn, Poe and Rose. Um, I just think that would have made it a little bit better and maybe a little bit shorter. So, uh, my only thing is, is, 
if you put Finn and Poe back together going off on doing this, why do we need Rose? Because she's the moral center. Right? Okay. Um, I think she's the one she's the one who still but would she, continue to recognize the impoverished children on Cantobite. I think Poe would have looked past it as well just because he's there with one thing on his mind, just like Finn. Um, so I think Rose's character is immensely important because she reminds us of what the heart of the resistance is. Okay. I, I'm not going to fully subscribe to that. It's an interesting, it's interesting idea to to follow, to, to think, but, um, I, I think the biggest, um, issue with the, the multitude of, of plots and the, um, characters that we have to develop is the reason behind it, I think is because, Poe was supposed to die in, in Force Awakens. Sure. He was supposed to die. Uh, so he didn't really get developed or started off um, on his arc, really, until uh, Last Jedi. And so if he had been planned from the beginning to survive uh, Force Awakens, I think we may have been a little bit farther along on his his trip here. Um it's an interesting idea, but I, I I don't know what I would have done differently because I haven't I, I haven't thought about that. Um, but I do agree that you know it, sometimes it does feel a bit long, a uh, bit long winded and a uh, little overflowing. Um, so sure, I I will say I was invested in Rose from the get go, and so everything that she does, um, really you know I really connect with she connected with me from the beginning um and so uh, i i can see why people wouldn't really be connected with other people outside of the ray kylo luke story but but rose grabbed me and wouldn't let me go uh from the get-go so um i can't i can't really fully understand that point of view so sure um but so just to give a little voice to to James flushing that out a bit more. He essentially says the same thing that I would. His favorite aspect of Star Wars is kind of this spiritual, um, you know, mythical side. So that, at the end of the day, he's like, I have to admit, you know, that's kind of why the the, the Resistance plotline and then the the Finn and Rose plotline isn't his favorite. It's just because that's not his favorite aspects of Star Wars. Which again, totally on board with that because I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, and again, so that, that comes down to personal taste, right? Um, yeah. Uh, the uh, another thing that that James and some of the other folks have brought up is again, and and this is not new. Leia using the Force to fly through space. Um, that, totally no. get it. It's still I still think it looks weird, but I still like it only because I think it's really important that we get to see Leia do something awesome with the Force. Yes, um, I I love that scene um, when she started to like wake up. I'm sitting the first time I watched it, I'm sitting there next to Joey and I start reaching over and like grabbing his wrist and his arm and going, Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what's gonna happen? And yeah, no, I, I started freaking out. Um I it, ugh. I I I'm the type of person that scene was meant was made for. And so <laughs> I, sure. I I'm just sitting sitting there going, Oh my gosh, this is amazing as she's, you know, force pulling herself back into the ship, um, you know, in space. I I loved it. So it, it worked for me. It clicked for me. I'm, I was like celebrating in my seat. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I think the, the, the reason behind it is great. Um, 
But yeah, I'd still think it looks silly. I mean, it's fine, but I, I don't hate it though. Like I don't, I'm not like, oh my god, this is so dumb. Because uh, again, I think the reason behind it is perfect. Um, the one thing though, it, I felt like was a little bit of a missed opportunity. You know, the and they do a great job of intercutting the shots between Leia's face and Kylo's face. Is you know, he's trying to decide whether to blow it up. <laughs> um, they're only playing Leia's theme, and I love Leia's theme, but I think it's overused in this movie, and it loses some of its beauty as a result. Okay, th- and 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 again, this is this is something we haven't explicitly talked about yet, Jason. But I, I I'm very underwhelmed by the soundtrack, and I know a lot of people have been. Um, and I love John Williams. I know everybody listening to the show probably loves John Williams. But I, I really do sincerely hope they bring Giacchino in to do episode nine. Um, and I just, John Williams is 91 years old. Like, I don't expect him to be in his prime anymore. That's okay. Um, so I say all that to say I think that would have been a perfect opportunity for either one, a new theme, um, be it like a Kylo Leia theme, or, or just, again, I feel like Giacchino in a way has spoiled me because I love the end of Rogue One. I mean, it's some of the most beautiful music in film history in my book. And right, like this is a very weighty scene. So just getting like a slow version of Leia's theme, I don't think captures the emotion. Like I think that scene would be a lot more emotional, at least for me, with better music. And again, I'm sure there's a lot of folks that are like, are you kidding me? That's the perfect song to be playing. Just doesn't work for me. I think Leia's theme is overused in this movie um, and as a result loses its value. So, um, and I think this was the perfect missed opportunity of like giving us something either new and fresh or just something a little bit more emotive. Um, so I, that was a missed I opportunity still, for me. I still want a full Kylo theme. I mean, yeah. he's got a great motif and everything. Yeah. I still want a full Kylo theme. And I think, um, I will agree that I think maybe, you know, with the, that cutting back and forth between the two of them, it would have been better to maybe have something other than her theme playing because then, you know, you get, the bridge blowing up, everyone getting sucked out into space, and then you have the big moment where you know she starts you know doing her force move, and her theme plays there in a very grand sort of sweeping right. way. Yep. Um, and it probably would have been more impactful if you hadn't just been playing it. You know, exactly. Thirty seconds earlier. Exactly. Yeah, because that's it, it's that transition from the force theme where we see her hand move to then her you know force pulling herself back onto the ship you know it goes from the force theme right into her theme i love it because musically john williams is telling us she has the force right it goes from the force theme right into her theme so so you know fluidly and beautifully but just 20 seconds before that we heard her theme so right again stop it stop too much <laughs> so again my opinion and i'm sure there's a lot of folks who are like shut up carl this is great which again your your prerogative, but I think that was a great opportunity for a more emotionally impactful music than what we got. So, um, that's again, Giacchino has just uh, he he changed the game when it comes to Star Wars music. <laughs> Spoiled. Um, but uh, all right. Um, so and then one yeah one last thing uh, James brought up, and he says that for him, um. Canto bite. The reason it didn't work for him was he says it, it took me out of the film because it felt too real world. Everything from the slot machines to the cops to the champagne bottles made me feel like I was watching a regular sci-fi movie, not a star Wars movie. I am in a thousand percent agreement. That's why I don't like Canto bite. And that's, he articulates it so well. Um, I hate when Finn's like the cops will be right by. It's like cops. That's not a star Wars word. Like that's, <laughs> that's our world. Um, yeah, it, it's just, they're they're the 
there are things at Cantobite that definitely like feel very Star Wars, but there I I am in complete agreement that when they pop that champagne, champagne bottle, what? No, sorry, get that out of there. Does not belong in Star Wars. What? What does it does it need to be blue champagne? Something. I don't know, but yeah, maybe, maybe that would have been enough. But yeah, I, I agree. When they open that shot with the popping champagne bottle, I'm like, it immediately strips me from the fact that I'm watching a Star Wars movie. It takes me right out of the film. I'm in complete agreement. And I think Canto Bite is for me what I've noticed because again, like the, the, the first like 25, 30 minutes of this movie, I feel like are really good. And then the last tw- like 25, 30 minutes are flawless. Um, but where I start to feel like I'm being pulled out of the movie is Canto Bite because of things like that. I hate when Kim, when Finn says the cops will be by any minute. I don't like the word cops being in Star Wars. Like it's it is. I'm with James. It's just way to this world. Um, so I don't know. Do you do what? Do you commiserate with any of that, or does it all work uh, for you? And, not necessarily. Sure. I mean, I I watch I watch enough Doctor Who hmm. uh, that this. There are elements of Canto Bight that feel very Doctor Who to me, mm-hmm. uh, and I will say I've said it before that the, it, it looks like for you know eighty percent of the aliens in Canto Bight they raided the Doctor Who alien closet. Um, <laughs> I, I'm I'm not kidding, um, but I've often in my head tried to mix Doctor Who and Star Wars together um, to create stories with both of it in my head. So maybe. I'm already melding that, and so when I see something like that on screen, it doesn't phase me. Um, so um, I don't know, but yeah, there are definite elements of Canto Bite that feel Doctor Who ish, um, and I, I will grant it that. But uh, Doctor Who is my favorite television show outside of Star Wars, so it it doesn't bother me. So sure, yeah, no, I mean, so again, this just it comes down to taste that taste right and but i i i i love that james is able to put the name on it of like the fact that it took him out of the film because it just felt like a sci-fi movie not a star wars movie those are the exact words i would have used so um and i know some people don't like it when you say oh when you when you make that statement oh this wasn't star wars you're you know you're again putting your expectations on it no that's not true star wars does have a feeling to it and i think um you know for the same folks that felt like you know 99 oh jar jar doesn't feel like he belongs in star wars um i mean i think he does but right like again that's a subjective feeling and i think there's a lot of elements of canto bite um that don't feel like star wars so um again my opinion so uh so yeah let's let's move on a little bit more um so right yeah ian ian Stats. Yeah. I know he's been on the sh- well. He's not been on the show, but we've used his last name before, so I guess I'll just do it again. But anyway, Ian says that um, one of the things that didn't work for him was the overly dark tone of the film. Um, and uh, you know, he's like, can't say much more than that. But just you know, the dark the dark tone wasn't wasn't for him, and that's fair. You know, when I went I went to the movie last night, and there were a lot of little kids in the row behind me. And a lot of them kept saying how scary things were. Like I heard them say to like the parent, like, oh, this is scary. And I agree. There are some things in this movie. And I know it's PG-13, but um, there, Snoke is very terrifying in a way that the Emperor wasn't. I personally love that. I mean, I, but I'm also an adult fan. Um, right. But Snoke is very creepy in moments. And I can get like – I love listening to what kids are saying. The, I went also two nights ago. 
And there were also a time, or I went two days ago. It, obviously, a lot of you know kids are out on school break this week, so I was again surrounded by kids. Um, I was trying my best to listen in on what they were saying because a lot of them were talking through the whole damn movie. But um, you know, just to try to gauge their excitement because I think again at the end of the day, that's who that's who the target audience needs to be. Um, you know, and and I think that's a fair point that that Ian brings up about how dark this is. It's dark in a different way. It's dark in a way that a Christopher Nolan movie could be dark, and I don't like that. I don't want that type of darkness creeping into Star Wars. Yeah, um, yeah, it is. I, I won't go as far to say it's the darkest of the Star Wars movies because I still think Revenge of the Sith holds that mark just because of all of the death in it. Sure. Um, Same with Rogue One. <laughs> right. Well, but Rogue One has this whole hope right. just laced throughout everything. It, it is permeated. It is soaking and dripping with hope the entire thing. It's almost sappy, um, yeah. which is why I love it. Um, but <laughs> but – the last Jedi is a darker movie in which, you know, we're, we're kind of used to that being the case because it's the middle act, uh, of the, the trilogy. It has to, you know, this is where everything gets challenged and everything gets, you know, torn apart and, and, you know, that sort of thing. But the tone is, um, a little on the dark side. I will grant, I will grant that it is, um, I'm, I'm still not entirely sure how I grade it um, because it is – it's dark in a different way than Revenge of the Sith is. Sure. Revenge of the Sith yep. is very Star Wars feeling, you know, obviously because of all the, the stuff that's involved with it. But it's it's very dark because every, everybody just dies and the Republic is destroyed and the Jedi is wiped out and all that fun stuff. You know, it's fun for Palpatine. Um, <laughs> but um, it's also completely necessary. For what we need to, for where we need to be in a new hope, um, and the last Jedi is dark. I think in a different way, in that people just seem very grim, and there is, you know, they try and lighten it up with jokes, with you know, the scene with Maz as she's, you know, <laughs> running around shooting and you know, grinning her little face off while she's talking about you know finding the master code breaker. Um, there, there are elements that are, you know, funny or happy, but it, it, it's not sustained. There's not a sustained feeling of, of happiness or excitement or hope, um, throughout, you know, a lot of this. And it, it is, I'm not going to say necessarily say dark. I'm going to say grim. Mm. People just don't seem happy. Sure. In the last Jedi. Yeah. That's a, f- a very it's a Grim very movie. four point, yeah, and and in the way that dar- it's it's not dark in the way Empire was. Empire, right? Everything goes bad, but our characters are constantly optimistic. There are jokes. There's there's a lightheartedness to our main characters that is lacking in this movie. I still wouldn't classify Empire as dark. Yeah, I, I mean, compared I, to, I, compared to the other two, it is. I I suppose, but I I generally don't really classify it as dark. I don't know. I'm that's it's weird that way for sure. me. Real quick, I noticed this wasn't brought up by anybody, but I want to throw this in really quick. Just in the idea of it being a darker tone made me think of it. There's too much swearing in this movie. I don't have the cleanest mouth in the world, so I'm not trying to like indict Star Wars for having some swear words, but there's too much, right? Like we've had, you know, hell, and I think maybe damn once before. 
again, these are movies for kids, though. These are heroes that are models for children. And you have Poe saying, what the hell? You know, bastard, you know, things like like these are. And, and I've noticed I remember seeing this in, in a podcast forum or a, a Facebook forum where somebody you know took a picture of a comic where there's some swearing in that, too. And, the, and they were really upset. They're like, why is there all of a sudden swearing in Star Wars? And it is, right, it's not like it's over the top. We're not getting like the S word or the F word or anything super like R rated. But the fact that you can count on two hands the amount of swear words in this movie, I think, is disturbing. We don't need it. Um, you know, it just I, don't know, I, I say that just as like a very slim critique. I, I don't care. Like as an adult, it doesn't bother me, but it does seem out of place. OK, so I don't know. Um, I. I'd have to go back and, and, and look at it that way. I, I didn't. That's not something that's been overly noticeable. I mean, I guess I noticed it in the moment, but it didn't stick. Sure. So, yeah, it. I think it's just good. That, again, there's just more than there normally is. That by like the by the last one, you're like, geez, all right, we get it. <laughs> um, pose. What the hell is perfect? I mean, it's it's perfect when his foot goes through the floor. The skim skiver is like, what the hell? <laughs> That's perfect. What the hell? But hell is fine. But I, and even though bastard isn't technically a swear word, I hate that they say you bastard. Like it just that's so un Star Warsy in my book. And I don't it's, it's don't tell weird. me that like I don't have the right to say that's not Star Warsy. Yes, I can say that. Like if they dropped an f bomb in Star Wars, would you say that Star Warsy? I don't think so. <laughs> so no. Um, and I don't think this is nearly as bad as dropping an f bomb. But yeah, bastard doesn't fit in Star Wars. It's a little bit. Uh, of a I weird. guess Anakin is. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But uh, um, anyway, sorry to go off on that tangent there. Um, but uh, another thing Ian brought up is he didn't care for the Porgs. Um, you know, he thought that they they served very little purpose purpose beyond the being wildlife on Luke's island, which to me, that is their purpose. I'm fine mm-hmm. with it. <laughs> like they're an, a, yeah. they're an adorable thing to look at. And he admits he's like, I think they're very cute. And he goes, I do have a plushie, <laughs> you know. Um, but they just weren't for him and that's fine. I know, I know a lot of people still don't really care for the Porgs. They, they still like say, and he did not, I want to be clear. Ian did not say this, that he just saw it as a marketing scheme. I don't think that's the case, you know? Um, well, it's pretty clear where they came from. Ryan was very honest, right? There were a ton of puffins flying around, which he thought were really cute and awesome. So he made it a star. He made a star Wars puffin. It's perfect. (laughs) Well, exactly. And, and it's partly, you know, to cut out the puffins that kept flying into the shots. Right. (laughs) You know, we, we have all these puffins flying around. Well, let's replace them with porgs. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that's, it's a very practical, um, and sort of like, Oh, I guess we should do that kind of reason. Um, you know, it's not, it's not a, a a scheme to market, you know, toys and stuff. Although they are incredibly marketable because they're cute and fuzzy and squishy, um, but or tasty if you're Chewbacca. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, it's it's it, they are there because there were puffins all over the place and they needed some way to kind of hide them. <laughs> right. Um. So uh, something else Ian thought that just didn't quite work was the milk scene with Luke. Um, he thought it was just a little bit off. He, he says it was funny at first, but it was Mark Hamill humor, not Luke humor, um, which I know people have also said about like the see you around kid. They were like, I feel like that's something Mark Hamill would have said, not Luke Skywalker. Um, which again, I think that just comes down to taste. Um, I thought the milk scene was odd. Like it's clearly there to show us how like, Luke has become like the crazy old man, the crazy old hermit. 
but then right. they could have done something else. Like it's, it's weird. I mean, obviously like uh, more dark humor have, have taken it to a place that I'm not going to mention, but we should never have something that, that could easily be misconstrued as that. <laughs> so it, it was a little weird. And I think Luke, I think part of the purpose for it is Luke is trying to freak Ray out in a way that she'll just leave. Sure. Uh, and so it, it serves a purpose to a point, but it was odd. It yeah. was just like, you know, okay, thanks, Luke, uh, for that image that I will never be able to forget. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, again, it's – I get it. It's weird. Those creatures look really cool, I mean, from the neck up. Um, it's neat. Yeah. Like, and again, this is just some little things that Daisy does in her acting that are just so adorable. Like the way she smiles at them at first. Because, again, she's never seen anything like this. Also, okay, side tangent, something I love, though, that Daisy does. When she just – when she comes out and she's about to have her second you know, v- vision with Kylo there, but she reaches her hand out to the rain and just like feels the rain and just smiles really big. I love that because, again, remember, just like essentially a day ago, she was on Jakku, where, which is where she spent her entire life mostly. So right. like I just I love that subtlety of her character that she reaches out and just feels the pouring rain because again think of yourself if you live on a planet with rain you're gonna be like oh it's a miserable day today but she just reaches out and loves it right I just I love that like it's just something very slight but something very beautiful about her character yeah. no that that's one of my favorite little little moments of hers she's got so many huh. marry me what um mm. <laughs> um. So uh, two other things that Ian points out that I that I really think are oh I thought I thought we moved on to Patrick. Oops, sorry. Yeah, that was. I'm sorry. We're we're. Uh, I did not do a very good job compiling this. You're right. This is now that was all. Yeah, that was Patrick. Um, and then these last two points are also from Patrick. And and I agree a hundred hundred thousand percent again. The first one I want to hit though is no again no old aliens. Oh. Lots of people have brought this up, and again, I continue to bring it up. And, I, and I've heard people rationalize, well, Canto Bite, you know, probably don't have any like Rodians because you know they're typically lower class c- citizens. Th- there's no evidence to support that. They were in the Senate, like I don't, right. I don't buy it. Um, same with Twi'leks, right? Like they've been in places of prominence. I don't buy it. So again, I think it's yeah, you can rationalize why there isn't, but I just think you shouldn't have to. Just put a something, put up, put something in there that's familiar. Just. One that I would have been fine with one Twi'lek walking across the floor. Have everybody else from the Doctor Who closet out there, but stick a Twi'lek in there right, for right. the love of God. I don't know why they're not doing it because there I was this huge either. complaint in Force Awakens and they continue to do it here. I don't know if that falls you know, to Ryan Johnson. I don't know if that falls to Neil Scanlon. Um, I don't know who it is, but whoever it is, stop it. Like, just put in something familiar for the love of God. Like, it's I, to me, it's, it's it's it is borderline maddening. Like, it's just obnoxious. There's it is. no reason not to have something familiar. Oh, this is this is also one of my biggest annoyances with the new trilogy is that the lack of of familiar aliens. I mean, yep. Oh, it drives me nuts because you know, the pre- in there. The- were great because they add they kept adding aliens we right. still had the old ones but you kept adding new ones you yep. know you got nautilins and togruta and zabrax and you know in addition to the twi'leks and the rhodians that you already had from the original trilogy you know and they just kept adding and and you know widening the 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 pantheon of star wars aliens and while we're widening the pantheon of star wars aliens with the new trilogy we're not bringing 
any of the old ones along with it, which is frustrating to me because, you know, now we've killed off Akbar, so no more, uh, you know, Mon Calamari, probably. Um, uh, we, so we've got nine numb. There you go. We got a Celestin. Whoopee! <sighs> <laughs> yeah, but it's one. It's it's just nine numb. And, and it's That's just one. We've seen before. Yeah. Give me somebody new. Yeah. No, I agree. Uh, so I, mean, I don't. I don't think I, we need to say much more about it because I think I. I. I would imagine n- at least ninety percent of Star Wars fandom is annoyed by this, if not more. Yes. At least ninety percent, though, because yeah. again, it's something so simple, and I don't think there's any reason not to. It, it, to me, it is. It's just. It, it's yeah. It just pisses me off. There's no excuse for it. <laughs> Um, it's it, it's not something that's going to like take away from my enjoyment of the movie, but it's something that will just sit in the back of my head and bug me. Yep. You know. Yep. <laughs> I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, and the other thing that that Patrick brings up though is the humor. He's like, it, the humor was great, but it fell flat at times and ruined ruined some serious moments. I laughed hard the first time, but the second I laughed less. Yep, and by the fourth and fifth, you laugh even less, in my opinion. Because again, and this is the point, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit on the last episode with, with Chris. Um, the way I put it is this humor, while it's funny, it's all surface humor. It's slapstick humor. It's, you know, oh, heaven forbid I say this, but it's not Star Wars humor. Because it's not. Mm-hmm. At, least, at least it's not Star Wars humor we've had before. Um, and I think, yeah. so if you want to start bringing this humor as, and they do have some slapstick in Force Awakens, to be fair. They just really go over the top with it in this movie, in my opinion. If you want to start bringing slapstick humor into Star Wars, that's fine. But I think it's just cheap humor. Like, it's it's not creative well, humor. It's, well, you had it in, you know, with Jar Jar and well, Phantom Menace. People hated it. <laughs> so, um, but it fits his character fine, right? Like, that is yeah. his character. There's a difference. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'm just mincing I, words. But. I'm I am a huge fan of Charlie Chaplin and uh, his slapstick and like slapstick from like variety shows from the 70s, like Carol Burnett and everything. So I'm a huge fan of that type of thing. So it doesn't bother me. Um, I can understand where people would get bothered, but humor is one of the most subjective things out there. Sure. Humor is so subjective. What people find funny, you know, some people find funny. I can't stand like raunchy comedies i i just they bother me i'm just like seriously this is dumb this is the stupidest thing ever but i have friends who go and they just laugh their heads off and i'm like more power to you i won't go um so i i I understand where people are coming from i can get it um and i think part of the reason why there were so many jokes in this is because they were trying to you know keep it from being too dark uh, which was some of the other critiques that you know mm-hmm. this movie was given, um, but I think that's more the issue is that it's jokes and not just funny stuff. Right. Yeah. Like uh, it's it's the type of jokes that you would get in just like a pop comedy. Um, you know, and and to be fair, I'm not saying I didn't laugh. I laughed at all of the beats. Right. I I laughed at the first viewing. Every single one of those things. Yeah, they're funny. I laughed. But again, it's it, like I said, it's the type of humor, though. You watch this movie, which we're all going to eventually watch this movie repeatedly because we're all hard, you know, we're hardcore Star Wars fans. That's going to happen. Um, you're not going to laugh at these things really anymore. Um, you know, it's just it's a very diff. It's to me, it's just it's lazy oh. humor. <laughs> so I, and maybe that's unfair to say, but there's nothing timeless about it. And I stand by that. So yeah. I, I, I'm not going to say it's lazy. Um 
it's I don't know. I, the other thing though is you know if you you go back and you watch comedies over and over and over again, you're gonna you know predict the jokes so you don't laugh. Sure, you may still enjoy them, but you're not gonna laugh. You know after you know your fifth or sixth viewing. Um, so that that's just the nature of humor. Humor catches you and makes you laugh when it surprises you. Um, and when you've seen it enough times, it's not going to surprise you anymore. So that doesn't necessarily mean it's not still funny. It's just you're you're expecting it and you know it's coming. So sure. Yeah. But but I will I can definitely understand why humor is one of the things that didn't work for some people with this with this movie. I think it works fine for me. But like I said, I, the slapsticky stuff is a little more my speed anyways. So sure. Um, uh, for the sake of time, um, I kind of want to, there was, there was well, actually, you know what? There's one really big dislike after seeing this movie now six times, there's one persistent thing that I dislike about this movie. Um, and I, I'm just going to throw it in here because we were just talking about things that didn't work for people. The thing that disappointed me most, everything that like initially disappointed me, I've come to terms with because I think it's it, it's smart and it's good writing and, and Ryan knows what he's doing and, and I trust where the story is going. But the thing that ultimately disappointed me most, and it's because it's what I wanted to see the most, and, it, and I didn't want to see it in any specific way, shape, or form. I just wanted to see it. But it was mythology of the force. We don't really get it and we don't see Ray train. And I think that's a huge problem, um, both for the story and for, like, again, the thing I love most about Star Wars. Um, I don't think Ray does anything in this movie that's outside of her particular wheelhouse of skills, right? Like fighting the Praetorian Guards and doing well. We've been given plenty of evidence of why she's good with a melee weapon. I'm okay with that. And for mm-hmm. all we know, the Praetorian Guards aren't force users, right? They're just well-trained soldiers. So it would make sense that she could fight well against them. Um, I'm okay with that. Her moving rocks at the end of the movie. Also. Okay. I mean, we've already seen her do a Jedi mind trick. So she's obviously aware of moving things. She says it at the beginning of the movie, right? They can make things float. (laughs) Um, right. So, so there's nothing that she does that I find ridiculous. The thing I don't like though, is we just don't see her really trained. So I don't see how she can be the future of the Jedi. She's had no formal training. The only, you know, she, she's supposed to get three lessons. She only gets two. The second lesson is really just a history lesson. It's not a, it's not a training lesson. The first thing is good. Like I do love that first lesson. She gets to, she's by the way. Oh, another amazing Daisy Ridley moment when she's like, when Luke is like, you know, he's explaining what the force is, you know, it's a tension of balance and energy between all things. She's like, okay, but what is it? Like, I love that innocent question. She still doesn't get it, which makes sense, right? Like the force is the ultimate transcendent thing in star Wars. So like you can't fully get it, but I love like, it's such an, like adorable way she says it but what is it like it's so cute um but and that is a great moment right like she she touches the like the fullness of the force and realizes it's within her i love that it's a beautiful first way to start her training but her training never happens um and i I was talking with a buddy of mine for a while today on the phone who's who's not like a diehard star wars fan but he really didn't like the movie um and and this buddy of mine like has trained in mma fighting for a long time so he he knows all sorts of different like combat things and you know he was and he was obviously speaking from his own experience but he's like i find it ridiculous though that this person can do all these amazing things and we never see them train for it he goes that's not cool and i agree so um and i don't and i'm not trying to be like super negative here but this is to me just the ultimate thing that didn't work for last jedi for me and and sadly there's no way to really change this um and it doesn't ruin the movie for me it's just to me it's my biggest disappointment 
And I think, you know, they're clearly trying to undo something from the prequels, right? The, a lot of people didn't like that the prequels made the force only accessible to some people, right? Like you had to have the right amount of Medichlorians, right? So there's been a lot of talk about how, and Rebels has been doing this as well. Force Awakens did it. Rogue One did it, you know, with Chirrut and Baze. But the, the reality that the Force is for everyone, and I think that's beautiful. It's a great way to be going with the mythology of the Force, right? It doesn't matter if you're from a certain bloodline. Like, you can still have the Force and be strong and powerful in it. But we saw Luke work to get there, right? Like, Dagobah is all about his training. It's about him struggling through his own shortcomings and his lack of belief and this, that, and the other thing. We don't get that at all with Rey. And again, as much as I love Ray, I still, my one still continued contention with her is she's still too perfect. Like, yes, she in a way fails in this movie because she goes there to save Ben and she doesn't, right? Like she's wrong. She's naive there. Um, But I don't think it's enough. Like we need to see her struggle as she grows in the force and we don't get that. And I think that's a huge detriment to this movie. Um, And again, we're not getting really much expanded upon on the mythology of the force. Um, so to me, that's just my biggest disappointment. Um, I'm not saying it's horrible, but I just I don't like it. Um, and I and I think what, not getting what Ray are you training. Defining, what do you what do you mean when you say we didn't expand the mythology of the Force? Because that's kind of nebulous. What 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 is that? What do you mean when you say that? We don't really learn anything more about it. We don't hear how it like can interact in your life. Um, like we don't we just don't learn any more about it. Um, you know, there's nothing new there. A New Hope, we get something about it. Empire, it's expanded upon. Jedi, we don't really get much more because we've kind of gotten the fullness of it. But we get nothing about it in Force Awakens, and we continue to get nothing in Last Jedi. Like, we just get, oh, it's an energy. Yeah, we know that. Thanks. Well, <laughs> so, um, well but do we get more about it in... Phantom Menace? Do we get more about it in Attack of the Clones? Yeah, no, we, we do in Maybe Phantom Menace. A little bit. We definitely do in Phantom Menace. Oh, like, well. The living yeah, Force, yeah. you know, the importance of, 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 of listening to the, to the I mean, as much people hate midi-chlorians, but how, like, when you learn to quiet your mind, you can hear the Force speaking to you. Like, that's huge. That's that's Attack true. of the Clones I, and Revenge of the Sith don't have it because they shouldn't. It's about they fail because they're not listening to it, right? Like, that's the importance of not having it. Um, but I was really hoping Ray would go there and just get, I don't know, I, uh, that's my favorite aspect of Star Wars and just, uh, you know, what they decided to do with the Octu movements is pay more attention to the connection between Ray and Ben. And I love it. To me, that stuff is perfect. But we just don't get her training at all. Um, well, we see more of what the Force is able to do. We're not told more about the Force itself. I guess that's, that's the biggest difference there. Because we definitely get some really interesting new things the force is able to do the the connection the Skype call between uh, <laughs> Kylo and Ray. Um, you yeah, know, no, Leia. we get we get new force powers for sure. Yeah, surviving and, in and space, I, Luke projecting himself across the universe to confront Kylo at the end, which is just freaking amazing. Um, but but yeah, I guess you're right. We don't we don't learn anything specifically new about the force itself. I don't necessarily think it's. I don't. I know necessary. Sure. But I, I can definitely see where you're coming from because, you know, that's uh, being who you are and what you do for a living. That's something that you just you, you want to dig into and you want to know more, 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 yeah. more. Yeah. That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, no, you're right. And, and again, it comes down to, again, personal taste. You know, the, people who don't particularly, you know, need that aspect of Star Wars, they're not going to be underwhelmed by that. But I do remember, you know, I remember before the movie came out and we had conversations on the show about, you know, you said to me, you're like, you know, I feel like, Carl, this could end up being like your favorite or at least second favorite Star Wars movie because of, you know, what we think we're going to explore. And I was with you like, yeah, I'm I'm ready for it. Like, Octu is going to give us so much richness about like the spirituality of the force. And and it just didn't. Um, not in my opinion. Um, it's not it's not that what we got was bad. We just, in my opinion, didn't get enough. And I really think not having Ray have any formal training. It, it, boy, how the heck do you make that work in episode nine? She's the new Jedi Order. Well, she knows literally nothing about how to train. So. That's that's again my continued indictment of the Ray character. As much as I love Ray, and I do, I think she's phenomenal in this movie. Um, she's too perfect. She's still too perfect. Um, uh, so I don't know. And maybe that's maybe that's unfair. She has maybe an overdose of optimism, just like Luke did. But yeah. Um, but we see Luke. But we see Luke like kind of mess up a lot, like an Empire. Um, you know. Well, Ray, Ray does here, you know, she goes off by herself to confront Ben. But Luke never comes around to really be an effective mentor. That's the problem, right? Like if they had if they had had a relationship where, you know, he's been lightly training her and she says, oh, I'm going to go do this. It means more when he's like, don't go or like I did this. It's not going to work. Trust me. Like I've been there. It doesn't work that way, but it doesn't like there's they're always at odds and. What's what's going to be telling is what happens next because right. if he visits her as a force ghost, we get a lot of that taken care of. You know, if if he comes back and visits her as a force ghost, trains her in a sense, you know, from beyond, um, you know, directs her, guides her as she, you know, has those Jedi texts, um, as she kind of starts over, uh, you know. Perhaps, you know, we get some of that, but, you know, it, that's a big if we don't know if that's going to happen or not. So um, and, and I guess that's the big thing is what happens next. Um, right. With her. It, she goes on a spiritual journey in a sense, but it's not something that takes us into brand new territory. Right. So. Right. Um, yeah. And, and I don't want to uh, again, we're going to talk more next week about more last Jedi stuff. So I'll talk more about this next week. I'll put my thoughts together a little better, but um, one of my critiques as well, though, is like Ray's journey. Um, her spiritual journey is a very much individualized journey. And I don't like that. Right. Uh, we've always had a master apprentice relationship. There's always been an importance of learning in the confines of a tradition and a community. Um, and I don't know if this is intentional or not. I mean, it's, it's certainly to me like, uh, a reflection of our society, which is quote spiritual, not religious, um, which I, in a theological way, I take so many issues with that statement because it's inherently flawed. Um, but, and I, I don't mean to offend anyone who says that, like, that's, that's fine. I know, I know what the intention is, but I think there's a complete lack of understanding of the inevitable connection between spiritual and reli- spiritual and being religious. Um, you kind of can't have one without the other whether you think you can or not. And I think in a small way, that's what I saw a little bit of in Ray's spiritual journey is it's very much like, Oh, I can just do this on my own. Oh, I took all the Jedi sacred texts. I'll just teach myself. Mm, it doesn't work that way. It's not how it works. <laughs> so you need that's more not how the force works. Exactly. You need more than books. So 
Um, right. But anyway, that's I, I'm going to stop. And, I, and again, like I bring all that up just because, again, this is this part of Star Wars I'm most passionate about. It's what I love the most. Um, and I was really hoping to get more than what we got. So that to me is my only big lingering disappointment of this movie. I think this movie is amazing. That's the one thing that really just uh, like that's the only thing that still leaves me a little disappointed. I have no qualms about Luke's character, um, about what they did with him. You know where he's at. I think it's it's awesome. It shows a great progression of the hero and the importance of a new hero. Um, but yeah, my lingering problem is just like not getting more stuff with the Force or any specific training things with Ray and Luke. Um, that's what I would have. That's what I would have liked to have seen. As I and and I know that's an expectation, and maybe that's unfair of me to have. But I was really expecting some level of more formal training from Luke to Ray. Um, but hey, we didn't get it. And again, to be fair they didn't have Ray doing anything outside of her wheelhouse, right? Like we don't see her like force pushing. We don't see her using force lighting, right? There's nothing she's doing that I think is unfeasible for her character. Um, right. But I just think she's limited as to where she can go in nine. So, but anyway, I remember somebody made a great point though, about how, like, obviously we never see how Luke goes from empire strikes back Luke to return of the Jedi Luke, right? Like he's a totally different character at the start of return of the Jedi. He's a lot more powerful. We don't know yeah. why. So, I know that's the case, but we also saw him doing a lot of training. We he learned a lot that he could continue to unpack. Ray didn't learn anything except for what the Force is. That's it, <laughs> you know. And I just that bums me out a little. So, um, is there anything for you, Jason? Though, like any big, and again, not to be negative, but anything that like just kind of didn't work for you, or, or something that kind of um, left you a little disappointed. Besides the aliens, because we can all get on board with that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Aliens bother me so much. Um, uh, not off the top of my head. I still only have only seen it three times. Um, it's been over probably about a week or so since I've seen it last, simply because of the holidays mm-hmm. and work schedule and stuff. I'm hoping to see it again this weekend, um, but I just haven't been able to get to get to see it again um, since we we last recorded. Um, so I, nothing jumps to mind. Um, this is one of those movies where, you know, it's – I like it. I think they did some really gutsy things with it, some really uh, awesome stuff with it. It's not going to be my favorite though. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's and that's fair. Um, you know, I mean obviously some of the folks who who, who have written in have, have made it very clear that this is now one of their favorite Star Wars movies. Um, and that, again, I think that's great and that goes down to the subjective relatability of the film to you. Um, Jason, for the sake of time, like we've been going for a while here. Yeah. Um, I, I want to save all the questions folks ask, cause there weren't too many, but we're going to save your questions for next episode. We'll just, we'll bang those out at the end of next episode. Um, but just, to, I just want to rattle these off real quick just to get it out there because I don't think there's any, there's nothing here that's super new that hasn't been talked about. And I'm not trying to diminish anyone's point, but just real quick, a couple of the predictions people were making, um, so a prediction, you know, right, that there's going to be a significant time jump between um, eight and nine. Um, uh, uh, David, who we haven't talked about yet, but David just wrote in a prediction. He, he predicts that we'll see Leia's funeral at the beginning of, of episode nine because um, he said that um, Neil Scanlon created a uh, Leia dummy to use in the medical pod. Um, when Carrie Fisher wasn't uh, available or something. So that's, a, that's, yeah. a, I didn't know that. That's really neat. So I think that's a cool idea that maybe we will see, you know, her, her funeral at the start of nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, it, 
Patrick makes a great point of how he thinks episode nine will be the last Skywalker's movie. Um, and we'll, we'll move on from there, right? Like we'll have star Wars movies probably indefinitely. Um, but they won't be the Skywalker stories. And, um, I'm okay with that. It's, uh, uh, it'll probably always be my favorite part of star Wars probably because I don't want to make a prediction, but, um, you know, I think the tallest order for episode nine, um, also, I don't. A lot of people have talked about how they think there's going to be a ten year gap between eight and nine. I don't think it'll be that long. My guess is no, like my, two to four years at the most. Um, I'm saying three to five. Yeah, but it'll be like it'll be like similar to like a New Hope and Empire. Yeah, um, I think. But uh, you know, I think uh, the biggest homework JJ has with nine, and 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 I do. You know, a lot of people put blame on JJ for why Ryan had to write a difficult story. I put Ryan to blame. I'm calling him to task on. I think he also put JJ right back in a similar uh, <laughs> difficult position by again. And, and you know, again, if you disagree with the statement, I'm totally fine with it and feel free to, to voice that out. But I still don't think not, neither Force Awakens or Last Jedi has proven to me that a sequel trilogy needed to be made. Um, and it's not to say that I didn't like these movies. I enjoyed both of them very much. Um, but it's for undoing the beauty that is return of the Jedi and, um, disrupting our fairy tale, happy ending, which by the way, whether you like it or not, star Wars is a fairy tale. So stop saying like, we don't need happily ever after false. It's a fairy tale. We do. And we deserve it. And we live in a, <laughs> and we live in a world that we need it. Um, yeah. you know, these movies are meant to transcend real life. I don't want it to be a mirror of the real world. Thank you. But no, thank you. So I say all that just to say that's the tallest order to me. If JJ can pull off nine and, and, and make all of these pieces come together beautifully, I will say, yeah, this is a great you know, saga worth watching. I think if that falls flat, I'm going to always say, like, I love the Star Wars saga of one through six. Seven, eight, and nine are, are a lot of fun. Right? They're fun movies. They're enjoyable to watch, but they don't add anything to the mythology. And I know there's probably a lot of people who disagree with that inherently right now, and that's fine. But I just still don't think they've – I don't know. I'm coming around to it a little bit more. I think as we – and that's why I think we just need to learn a little bit more about, you know, really – we need to learn more about Luke's Jedi Temple and and Ben and his fall. Yeah, We're close. We're close. Um, But I didn't expect to to get the the full reasoning – in just two movies, you know, there's a, there's a whole encompassing story that has to happen with a trilogy. And, um, you know, it's, and that is what will help determine if this was necessary, as you put it, um, for post return Jedi to anyone who's, uh, to anyone who's not a star Wars fan, they'd probably be like, none of this is necessary, (laughs) right? Because they're movies, but, right. Um, right. Necessary as a as a point to to re-enter the Star Wars saga, um, in a way that kind of, in a sense, spoils the happy ending we got in Return of the Jedi, which will, you know, is my favorite Star Wars movie. So I'm I'm kind of along with you on this point, Carl. Um, I still really enjoy these movies. I, they're still part of my Star Wars because I, I you know I really enjoy them a lot. But you're right. They they haven't they haven't quite given us the their reasoning for being there. Yeah. Um, 
other than they're fun movies, you know, right. they're fun movies and sometimes it works, you know, yeah. and that works for me in, in a, in a big sense. But, um, I think we're almost to that point though. They, they're, they're settling us in on a core reason that I think will work, but we just need the rest of the picture, uh, to really yeah. Yeah. get that. And, and that's why I'm really reserving judgment until we get the whole picture before I say yes or no on that. Absolutely. And that, and that's a completely fair point, right? Like return of the Jedi, like really flushes out so much from a new hope and empire, right? Like we needed that full picture, even right. Everybody's expectation of the prequel trilogy was, you know, how does Darth Vader fall? And everybody expected that to happen in episodes one or two. Right. And then episode three would just be Vader on a rampage. Um, but no, like we don't get that full explanation until revenge of the Sith, right? Like, he sets it up by just showing us that he is an inherently good character and all is right with the world. And then in two, we start to see, you know, what what threatens Anakin's, you know, goodness and grace. And it's his fear of loss. And then in three, we learn specifically what causes him to fall. Right. And I think you need that third chapter. So to be fair, I, I know that, you know, episode nine does have that that task of, of kind of flushing everything out and, and putting the pieces together. And, and I think if JJ can do that, this is going to be awesome, right? It's going to be an awesome addition to, to the star Wars saga. Um, and, and I said it when it was announced that JJ was directing episode nine, I think he's the best person to do that because he started all these threads back with episode seven. So if anybody can take the threads that were started and maybe kind of left a little, uh, a little out there in the breeze um, with episode eight, he'll be able to pull those back in as well as the threads from episode eight and hopefully, you know, tie them together in a way that makes sense um, and that we all enjoy. So I think he's the best person to do that because he's already intimately familiar with the ins and outs of a good portion of this new trilogy. Right. So, right. No, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, so before we wrap up, Jason, I'll put you on yes, the spot. Carl. Um, I give you the option, though. Either you can give the movie a rating or a ranking. Um, oh, wow, that sounded like Chewy. Yeah, it did. <laughs> was not intending to yeah. it. Um, gosh, rating or ranking? I, I still don't know where I rank this yet. It's probably mm-hmm. – I probably interchange it right smack dab in the middle with – um, Force Awakens. Although I think I think this movie service serves Force Awakens better. Um, it makes Force Awakens a little bit of a better movie. Um, not fully the way I was hoping it would, because there's still so many unanswered points from Force Awakens. Um, so I'm going to give it a, a rating. Uh, yeah. Do you want me to do out of five or ten? Do out of five. Out of five. Uh, three and a half. Maybe four. Okay. So it's still a very good movie in my opinion. But um, as a film, I'm going to give it like a four um, as a, you know, ranking it as sort of a favorite among my Star Wars movies. Probably closer to three and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, yeah, cool. What about you? I'm gonna mirror everything you just said. Um, I don't, <laughs> I, I, do, I don't want to rank it yet because I, again, I love Brian Young's point on Full of Sith about 
the importance of familiarity with Star Wars. Um, and I was I just watched Empire Strikes Back yesterday before I went at night to see Last Jedi. Um, and uh, right, like the other six films, like they've been such a part of my identity for most of my life that it's hard to just compare something I've seen eight times or no, six times to something I've seen 600 times, right? Like, and I think that's a fair point, you know, and, and I was saying this to my friend, Greg, like when, when this movie again comes home for home release, it'll really change things, right? Like being able to just watch it at your leisure changes things so much. So I'm, I'm reluctant to rank it. I mean, to be fair right now, it would rank towards the bottom of my star Wars lineup. Um, I don't want to say exactly where, um, I still can't decide if I like it more, than force awakens or not. Um, I know by saying I don't, that means that I'm just one of those fans who wants more of the same. And that's not exactly true. Um, I, I, I probably will put it a little bit above force awakens because I do appreciate that. It's a little bit bolder. Um, but yeah, it's definitely not, it's definitely not near the top. Um, and I don't, maybe it that'll change with time. I don't know. I mean, force awakens for me, I immediately ranked it right at the top and now it's, you know, settled down towards the bottom half. Um, but uh, yeah, I, it, so I'll, I'll do the same thing as you. I, I would give it a I would give it a three point five out of five um, overall as a movie. I'd give it like a four to a four point. No, I'd give it a four because I think there are a lot of plot holes. Um, um, so I'd give it a four four out of five. But as a Star Wars movie, I'd give it three point two out of five. So, um, yeah. Again, I I like this movie very much. And again, if if you've listened to the previous two episodes, I hope you've enjoyed them. And I know we went a little, you know, we we looked a little bit more of the things that didn't work as much for us this time, which I think is fair. Um, I don't hate the movie. I really, 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 really like it. Um, But it's just not one of my favorites. Um, And I think we have an expectation that anytime a new Star Wars movie comes out, like we have to like love every bit of it. So we don't, we don't have to like, that's not a requirement. Um, also one little thing, this is totally off topic, but really quick. Cause I just remembered it and I was thinking it yesterday. Um, something that like, again, just, just to show like the, the genius of Irvin Kirshner over Ryan Johnson. <laughs> it's not because I don't like Ryan Johnson, but the, the introduction of the executor and empire strikes back is so awesome right like we get all these star destroyers which we know are massive and then all of a sudden there's these shadows creeping over all of them and then we get this slow reveal and then this massive view of the executor right like it is a scary ship snoke ship just boom just shows up right like there there's no sense of shock and awe it's just like oh there it is okay like it's cool like i have nothing wrong with the snoke's batwing that's literally what it looks like. <laughs> um, but I mean, I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it shock and awe because all of us, you know, you're, you see all these big ships. You see the dreadnought, which is, you know, twice as big at least as the star destroyers. And then all of a sudden, there's, you know, out of nowhere, whoosh, the the supremacy, right? Is it supremacy? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it just warps everything else like completely. And it's just right in your face. You know, it's, it's a little shocking, a little awe inspiring. But I do agree that the, you know, I think the slow reveal as you start, start to lean in uh, with the executor, a little more interesting. Um, but um, I think reveal of the supremacy, a little more shocking. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I just brought that up, just like highlight some of the differences in, in film style, you know. So I'm sure a lot of people like just loved when the supremacy shoots in like that. Like I do, I do like it because like I love big ships. It's such a cool looking ship, 
but the executor is just oh, it's just so beautifully teased and then the reveal is it's like it's a great payoff Whereas, it, it is it's teased yeah where, you know they give you they give you the supremacy here it is yeah. whoosh right but <laughs> whoosh. executors executors teased right a little bit right so it's just different yeah different yeah absolutely but um jason why don't we why don't we start wrapping this up all right i haven't done a two-hour episode in a while whoops <laughs> <laughs> um well uh of course we do want to you know continue the discussion um and obviously next episode we'll continue the discussion ourselves and and get a few more of some of your your questions in here about the last jedi uh but we want to continue your discussion about the last jedi with our next poll um so we're going to start the polls back up and we want to know what your favorite scene from the last jedi was so um get some favorites in here see what people are really enjoying about the last jedi yeah and uh carl if anybody wants to continue the discussion with us uh respond to the poll where can they do that um on facebook at wampas lair um follow us on twitter at wampas at wampas lair sorry facebook is wampas lair podcast um send us emails at wampaslairpodcast at gmail.com head over to patreon to support the show there um we're going to be launching some new projects um within the next couple of weeks so be sure to check that out over on patreon.com slash wampaslairpodcast um and again like you said jason thank you to everybody who wrote in sorry for those of you who we didn't get to get to some of your points or um you know some of your bigger points we, we apologize we couldn't get to everything um, like I said, we're going to hit those questions at the end of next week's episode. Um, and also like, I hope, hope people aren't totally turned off by the fact that we did look at some of the things that didn't work. I mean, obviously a lot of listeners mentioned things that didn't work. There are things for both of us that didn't necessarily work as well, but that doesn't mean it's not a good movie or a good Star Wars movie. So I really like this movie a lot and I'm looking forward to seeing it a few more times. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. So Boy, I'm still. And you got Carl? No, I'm still figuring out the soundtrack. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you everybody so much for listening to this uh, episode of the Wampus Lair podcast. It's been episode number 263, The Lax Lairs. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we will see you next time here in the Wampus Lair. <laughs> <laughs>